Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, August the 12th, 2022. It is currently 1.09 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where just a few hours ago, I was crying like a baby. I was wailing. I was bawling. I, I, whatever words you want to use, all because of a Spider-Man movie. Yes, I, I, I have to admit that I was crying. Yes, I, I was. I, I, I was crying. But, but that's over now. However, there's a high probability that by the end of this episode. I'm going to be crying again, okay? I was crying earlier, and I have a feeling before this episode is over, I'm just going to lay my head down on this table right here in front of me, and I'm just going to weep. All you're going to hear is... (laughs) And you're going to be like, what is happening? But if you've been a part of this series, you know what's getting ready to happen. I know what's getting ready to happen. But even though I know what's going to happen, it ain't, and even though you know what's going to happen, it's still going to happen because I, I made a promise. And sometimes I, I really, I really question the person in charge of this, as this, of, uh, yeah, okay. I really question the person in charge of this podcast because the person in charge of this podcast obviously cannot speak. I'm still emotional from earlier today. So, so cut me some slack. Okay. So here's what's been going on. It, it all started like it was such a, a simple idea. Oh, this will be interesting. You know what we'll do? This, this one particular verse in the gospel of Mark has caused Lots of problems. So let's just turn on the microphone, at least tell everyone, hey, are you familiar with this verse and all the problems it has caused? Do you know what this verse did to Bart Ehrman? Do you know what, and and just kind of give some basic information, tell everyone maybe to go look up a couple of things. I, I really didn't think it through beyond that. I really didn't have much, I didn't really have a, a plan. Maybe that's the problem. I didn't have a plan. But as soon as I got into part one of, well, I didn't even really, I, I, I guess I kind of knew that it would go beyond one part. But when I got into part one, all of a sudden I came up with an idea. I know what we'll do. I'll, I'll have, I'll have everyone look up three sermons about this verse and Mark. And then we'll look at this and we'll review a couple of sermons and, and I'm sure we'll find something, but it, it it's kind of gone completely. <laughs> Well, I guess it, I, I guess in some ways it's gone in a direction that I wasn't counting on. And in other ways, it went in the direction that I kind of knew. I guess that's the problem. I keep knowing what's going to happen, but I keep doing the very thing that's going to lead to those results. You would think if you know that's what's going to happen, you would not do it. But I, I guess I wanted everyone to see I guess it's easy to turn on the microphone and say, hey, this is what's going on out there in the church. This is what churches do. And it just sounds like I'm just making an accusation, that I'm just throwing something out there. It's another thing for me to dedicate hours of my life so that you can actually hear that what I am claiming is true. And I think I have proven that. 
Are you ready? It, this will all make sense. Here we go. Let's put it all back together. Everyone should remember this because I've read this in every episode so far. In the introductory section of his 2005 best-selling book, Misquoting Jesus, Bart Ehrman pointed to one verse in the Gospel of Mark as being the reason for him renouncing his belief in the divine inspiration of Scripture and eventually leading to his abandonment of Christianity entirely. And we know what that verse was. Mark chapter 2, verse 26. Mark chapter 2, verse 26, led Bart Ehrman to decide that the New Testament cannot be trusted. It's not trustworthy and ultimately a complete rejection of Christianity. All because of one verse in the Gospel of Mark. Now, that tells me, now some people will say, and we, we talked about this in part one, some people, and some people have already emailed me with this kind of attitude, and you know how I despise this attitude, but it's an attitude that's very prominent in, in some churches. It's like, well, Bart Ehrman never had real faith anyway. Who really cares? He's a Bible denier. I don't care what he says. And, and the verse is really not that, not, 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 it's, that verse is not really much of a problem anyway. Who cares? And they just kind of shrug their shoulders and they don't want to deal with it. it, it they just kind of place their fingers fingers in their ears. I'm just like, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. And you know, I can't stand that. If someone tells me, hey, this verse basically destroyed my faith. And then that person goes on to become a leading Bible critic. I don't know. I want to understand what caused all of the problems. And then if you are take just a, if you'll just take a little bit of time to look into the verse, you'll realize this verse has caused a lot of people, a lot of problems and even some Bible commentaries tells us there isn't a good solution to the verse. So that tells me we need to talk about it. And I guess what really bothers me about the story is that, see, some people look at it like, well, Bart Ehrman just didn't have any faith. Who cares? I look at it and go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. How did Bart Ehrman get to a place where he was in some school studying Mark 2.26 and it's almost as if he wasn't aware of the problem with Mark 2.26. So then it makes you ask, well, what, what was happening in the churches he were attending? Why weren't they dealing with it? Why weren't they mentioning it? How come he hadn't already been confronted with this fact sitting in the pew? But then I realized, well, that's the problem. That's the problem with churches all across the United States of America. In so many churches, it's not what is said is the problem. It's what they will not say. It's what they will not address. It's the questions they try to avoid. It's the things that they just try to paint over and move past instead of being open and honest and dealing with the difficulties. So, I wanted to demonstrate that, you know what, that's what I feel is happening in churches. So I told everyone to choose three sermons, just from the sermon, Sermon.net app, the Edify Christian Podcast app, and the Sermons 2.0 app. Just find three sermons on Mark chapter 2, verse 26. We're not trying to find a verse that specifically is trying to address it. I just want to hear how the normal church, the average church, on a Sunday morning, preaching through the gospel of Mark, how they handle it. And what we have seen so far in the two sermons that we've reviewed, here's how they handled it. They absolutely didn't even mention it. 
They didn't even touch it. They didn't even, they didn't even acknowledge there was a problem. They didn't even acknowledge there was an issue. They went so far to a completely even ignore the relevant cross-reference. And that's how so many churches handle things. And guess what? If you go to church and your church, because of the things they're not saying, they're leaving you spiritually vulnerable. They're leaving you as a child to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And that should tick everyone off who goes to church. You go to church. It has to be more than just a social event. It has to be more than, well, I like the music and I like the lighting and I like the chairs and I like the coffee and donuts. It has to be, no, I'm going there because this is a place of great spiritual equipping. They're challenging me. They're dealing with the difficult questions. It's real. It's in depth. It's, it's, that's what I need. But so many people actually don't, I, I don't think a lot of people actually want that in church. They just, they don't want all of the complications and the hard questions. They just want it simple. They want it easy. They want it uplifting. They want it positive and they want it fast. And that leaves people vulnerable who later on in life are confronted with something like Mark 2.26 and their own, and the only response they're equipped to, to give is, well, Christianity is not true. Peace out. I'm done. I'll just now become the leading Bible skeptic in the country because no one bothered to equip me prior to me being confronted with said verse. That's, see, that's the part of the story that bothers me greatly. So let's remind ourselves of the issue. Right. So again, it's 2005. Bart Ehrman comes to the verse of Mark, comes to Mark 2.26. And this becomes the reason for him and renouncing his belief in divine inspiration and leading him to abandon Christianity entirely. The verse was Mark 2.26, a saying of Jesus narrated by the evangelist in the context of one of several episodes of conflict with the religious authorities. In this case, the broader context concerns a dispute over the actions of Jesus' disciples and picking grain on the Sabbath, which appeared to be, uh, which appeared to the Pharisees to be in violation of the Torah or of the law. In response, Jesus appeals to the actions of David as recorded in 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 9. That's the relevant cross-reference. 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 9 is the relevant cross-reference. We listened to two sermons on Mark 2. One never even got to the this actual text. The second one covered this text, but did not even give the reference. Didn't even tell everyone you can find the story in 1 Samuel. And definitely didn't have anyone turn there. Which is suspect... <laughs> Big time. Like, why are you not letting everyone know the cross-reference here? Because if anyone looks at the cross-reference, they're going to be like, I, something doesn't make sense. So how do you, how do you keep everyone from that, that reaction? You just don't tell them to look anything up. <laughs> just sit there and listen to me. I, I guess that's, that's the way. But so Jesus and his, this situation uh, he, he, he points them to 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 9. He points them to the actions of David as recorded in 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 9. As, and he does so as both a precedent and a justification. And he concludes with pronouncements on the purpose of the Sabbath and about his own Christological identity and authority. In his reference to David, 
All right. He talks about David taking the priest's showbread during his flight from Saul. Mark has saying that David's actions took place during the time of this individual. Everyone remember his name? Abiathar. 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 Now, the only reason I'm playing that is because we're finding out that every time you listen to another sermon on this section, they all say it differently. Abiathar or Abiathar or Abiathar. However, but Abiathar is the way we're going with it, okay? But supposedly, according to Jesus, this takes place during the time of Abiathar. Well, the only problem is, is when you look to 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 9, uh, that the priest interacting with David is not Abiathar, it's Ahimelech, the father of Abiathar, and not Abiathar himself, who would only become high priest after attempting to develop, uh, would later become a high priest. Now, after attempting to develop a solution to the problem, Bart Ehrman came to believe that Mark was in error, and in his words, the floodgates opened. And Bart Ehrman concluded that the text of the New Testament was completely untrustworthy and has since continued to promote said message. Now, I don't believe in taking the approach, well, Bart Ehrman was just, he didn't have any faith and he's a heretic and I don't, no, I don't believe in yelling at Bart Ehrman. I believe going, well, why didn't the church have Bart Ehrman better prepared? That's what I want to focus on. And so that's what we have been working on now for a couple of, well, episodes. So today we're, we're going to, we're not going to conclude the series, but we're going to conclude the review part. And we're going to conclude the review part by working on a, listening to another sermon, we're reviewing, critiquing, and analyzing another sermon on Mark 2 that's supposed to cover the key verse, verse 26, and we're going to do so to see how do they handle it. Do they even mention it? Now, I know what you're saying. Just go find the sermons that mention it. No, the goal here is not for me to listen to them in advance. It's to just choose them in the most random way possible from different apps so that no one can accuse me of, well, you're just trying to find ones that are avoiding the subject. No, if, if this, if this one avoids the subject as well, we are three for three. And that's a bad sign. That tells you what's really going on in churches. They're not interested in actually studying the text. They're interested in preaching sermons. And there is a big difference between preaching sermons and studying the text. It's night and day difference. So are you ready? That took 14 minutes to get us back there. But I, I just want to, I just, I guess I'm going to continue to, to do longer eat, uh, intros because I want everyone to be so familiar with this problem. I mean, I, I, if you're just walking down the street and someone said, Mark 226, you're like, I know the problem. <laughs> okay. I, w- I want you just like, you'll, I want this so ingrained in your brain that you at least are familiar with this problem. So if someone ever brings it up, you're like, you're not. I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. I know about the controversy. Now, I know what you're waiting for. When are you going to answer the controversy? Well, after we're done with this review, then we'll start working on trying to come up with a solution. All right. We'll at least categorize, we'll at least place, we'll catalog all of the possible solutions. I don't know if we can come up with one, but we can at least try to see what people have done in church history with it. But are you ready? All right. This sermon is called Conflicts Over the Sabbath. 
That sounds like he's going to be covering the right section. Are they going to even mention it? I don't know. I don't know what's getting ready to happen. Right now, I, all we've been able to prove with the sermons is that the average church doesn't care to address the issues with the text. So in some cases, it's not what the church says that makes it bad. It's what they will not say. It's what they will not deal with. All right, here we go. Well, let's turn to Mark chapter 2 as we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark, the shortest gospel of the four that we have in the New Testament, but short, but yet full of action, isn't it? Full of action and nonetheless true and reliable. Mark chapter 2, and you look at in your outline, we're actually going to begin chapter 3 as well. We're going to take two stories and kind of lump them together because there's a theme in both of them. And I want to show you tonight the glory of Christ and the authority of Christ and the power of Christ and how there are conflicts over the Sabbath in each of the accounts. So follow with me and then and then we'll pray and ask for the Spirit. Now it sounds like, now I, I could be wrong because some, when, when I listen to our analyzed sermons and I even try to analyze my own, what do, do I give a thesis statement? Do I really say this is what we're going to be doing? It sounds like his goal is just to show us the glory of Christ, the power of Christ. Now that sounds super spiritual. That sounds great. Like if a pastor says, I'm here today to show you the power of Christ, the glory of Christ, the sovereignty of Christ, the the grace of Christ, the mercy of Christ. Everybody like, amen. He's preaching so good. But I, I have such a radical different philosophy. I'm here to show you the text, to show you what the text says and try to figure out what it means based on what it says and be honest about all of the problems, questions, and difficulties that arise by looking at the words in the text. Like, I, I don't feel, and I, and I, I know so many of you disagree with me and that's perfectly okay because there's a thousand churches that will agree with your approach. So, you can just say, well, you're, that, that, that podcast and that church is completely misguided. And that's okay. You can, you can say that. But I just feel there needs to be a church that says, you know what we're focused on? The text. What does the text say? I'm not going to bring a, my thesis can't, I can't bring a thesis to the text and say, I'm going to show everyone the power of Christ in this text. No, I'm going to show you this is the text. This is what it says. And in this particular text in Mark 2, verse 26, when we see Abiathar mentioned, and we know the cross-reference from 1 Samuel, which says Ahimelech, we immediately should go, "Mm, my goal today is to deal with a very controversial, apparent contradiction that has led many people to renounce their faith. We're going to deal with that today. See, that, that to me, but clearly... The goal here is he's got a di- he's got a different agenda. Now you may think his agenda is right. Where where I see when I listen to this, I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to say that you've got this other agenda. The agenda wants I want it to be the text. I want it to be the text. And you say, well, the text should point me to this, or the text should point me to that. That's because you are imposing that idea on the text. You know what the text should do? The text should give me the words that are used, and it's my job to figure out what those words mean by the words that are being used. 
I see it much more. I don't see it as some grand spiritual thing. I see it as a grand time of studying the word of God. Now, those words should lead me to great grand spiritual truth, but I've got to figure out the words. And in this particular case, verse 26 just screams, we got a problem. But all all the sermons are like, oh, this is going to be uplifting. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. And it's like, does anyone realize the problem here? It's, it's, it's not like this problem is kept in a lockbox somewhere and nobody's known about it for 2,000 years of church history. Everyone knows there's a problem here. All right, let, okay, you, you, I know you're saying you're being too critical. I'm not trying to be too critical. It's just I want someone to deal with the text. Maybe he, in this particular case, he may, but his thesis seems to be something other. And you can draw your own conclusions about that. To God to help. Mark chapter 2 beginning in verse 23. This is the word of the living God. And it happened that he, Jesus, was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry and how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, here's kind of the punchline, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so he entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him. As to how they might destroy him. Holy Spirit, we pray that in this time around your word, that you would be our divine teacher. We are looking at Christ, the glorious Son of God, with our Bibles open, which is the God-breathed word. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take your word, take your truth, that we would be hearers and doers of the word, that we would let these words go deep into our ears. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To follow Jesus Christ means that you must reject every other way of salvation. Okay, now I wonder if that may, is that his thesis statement? That to follow Jesus, you have to reject every other way of salvation. 
Nothing wrong. Again, nothing wrong with what's being said, but you can immediately see the focus of this is not the controversy with verse 26. It's not, he's not starting off going, okay, guys, we have a, we have a controversy about the Sabbath. But before we can deal with the controversy about the Sabbath, we have to deal with the controversy that has haunted this text for a very, very long time. And that is Abiathar mentioned in verse 26, when if you look at the cross-reference, it's Ahimelech, what's going on? We're going to deal with, before, we're going to deal with the, the, the textual controversy. Then next week, we'll deal with the Sabbath controversy that the text speaks of. But we can't deal with the controversy the text speaks of because there's a controversy about the text itself. So that's what we're going to do. But so far, none of the sermons that I've, that I've found, so again, just choosing at random, they did not develop their sermon series that way. They're like one sermon on Mark 2, 23 to, to whatever, or one sermon on the entire chapter. Like nobody's like, hey, we're going to have three or four sermons here because we got to deal with the textual controversy. We got to deal with the controversy about the text before we can deal with the controversy in the text. We got the t- controversy of the text. We have the controversy in the text. Nobody has shaped their sermon series to like that. And it's just baffling to me. I, it's, again, based off the ones I've chosen at random, but you would think that I could just choose any random series on Mark and I would immediately look, oh, look, look, that sermon right there is dealing with the textual controversy. No, one sermon. They wanted to make sure they get past this section in one week. I don't know how you can get past this section in one week because it would probably take you a month just to deal with the controversy about the text and maybe one or two more sermons to deal with the controversy found in the text. But what do I know? Here we go. If you are to say yes to Jesus, that means that you say no to everything else. To everything else. And tonight... We really kind of come eyeball to eyeball with the reality that Jesus conflicts with false religions. He conflicts with false religions. And I want to remind you very simply, but I think it's a helpful introduction. There are really only two kinds of people in the whole world. There are two kinds of people in the whole world. There are those who are in Christ and there are those who are outside of Christ. There are those who are saved and those who are the unsaved. There are those who are of the truth and then there are those who are believing lies. There are those who are in the kingdom of God and there are those who are in the kingdom of Satan. I can't resist. There's also only two kinds of preachers. Those who preach sermons and those who preach the text. I can't resist. I mean, if we're going to draw distinctions, I, 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 if you've not learned anything in this series, that's what, again, I keep mentioning it. It's what drives me crazy. I don't need sermons. I need the living word of God. I don't need your sermon. I, I don't need the production. I don't, what I need is someone going, all right, guys, we've got a text in front of us and this has got problems. We got controversies about the text and we got a controversy in the text. And we're going to spend as much time as we need dealing with the controversy about the text so that you will be equipped so you will no longer be tossed to and fro whenever you come in contact with it. And every pastor had to, has to know 
that this is the verse that gave us Bart Ehrman. And every pastor would know that Bart Ehrman is a very, well, at one point, a very influential Bible skeptic. On many college campuses, his books and materials were being talked about. Maybe not so much in 2022, but there was a time that Bart Ehrman was being talked about. Well, why weren't pastors going, hey, whenever you deal with this, we've got to deal with the controversy. I, I just, I just, I'm telling, we don't need more sermons. We don't need more sermons. We need more study of the text. And there are those in the kingdom of light and those who live in the kingdom of darkness. And here's what's so amazing. They don't mix. You cannot mingle them together. You, you can't blend them together. And our text tonight, like last week, is going to remind us that Jesus is the supreme, the glorious, and the only Savior for sinners. Jesus conflicts with all false religion. And tonight, just by way of introduction, I want to kind of redirect your attention, maybe after a, a busy week and a lot that has gone on with work or family or news or whatever, let me remind you of Christ by way of introduction. In your outline, you have this. Number one, Jesus is supreme. He is supreme. He's preeminent. He's the greatest one. He's the ultimate one. He is supreme. Number two, I want to remind you that Jesus is singular. I misspelled soul. It should be S-O-L-E. He is the exclusive savior. There's none other besides him. He doesn't share his saving role with another. He, we don't contribute to salvation with him. Nobody does. He alone is the sole savior. Now, he's not saying anything that's incorrect. He's not saying anything that's wrong. But I have to ask this question. How frequently do you think sermons actually distract people from the text versus leading people into the text? Now, I know when I say that, people are like, you're out of your mind. He's preaching the text. He may. Now, look, I, I know that I'm already coming at this very skeptical, and I, I know my cynicism is strong. Okay, but my uh, just after the, the, the previous two reviews where they, they didn't even uh, deal with the problem, I'm, I'm, I'm already just nervous because he's, he is, his agenda is clear. He wants us to see Jesus. He doesn't want me to see the text. And guess what? In this text, I'm sorry, I'm going to have a hard time seeing Jesus because anyone who knows that when Jesus says, have you not read? He's referencing 1 Samuel where it's Ahimelech, but Jesus here says it's Abiathar. There's a, there's a conflict. <laughs> okay, there's a conflict. We have to deal with it, right? I mean, isn't that the, if we truly preach the text, don't we have to deal with whatever the issue is in the text? The text, the text has to be the thing that creates the sermon. We take a sermon and impose it upon the text. In fact, I think in some cases, the sermon actually keeps people from the text. 
I've heard so many sermons that when they're done, I'm like, no, they didn't lead people to understand that text. They imposed a meaning on the text. Leads to number three. He's the savior. He is the one who delivers guilty sinners from the angry and the just wrath of God. And, and fourth, Jesus is sovereign. He is powerful. He is the absolute monarch who rules over heaven and earth and all men and every circumstance. And then number five, Jesus is sufficient. He's sufficient. He, he's all that you need. He's all that you want. And Christian, he's all that you ultimately really have. He's all that we have. And so we come tonight to Mark 2 and to Mark 3, and we're going to be reminded of these themes of the glory of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, the sovereignty of Christ. But we turn to Mark 2. And you'll remember I've been saying it for a number of weeks now, but Mark 2, going into Mark 3, is primarily bringing us to one key theme, and that is the theme of conflict. If you get anything in Mark chapter 2, it's a theme of conflict. Why? Because in Mark's gospel, he is quickly accelerating. It's like he put, he put the foot to the metal, and he is so quickly rushing to the main turning point in Christ's ministry. And what is that? Look ahead at chapter 3. Verses 20 to 30, we call it the blasphemy of the Spirit. It's the official Jewish rejection of Christ. It's when the Pharisees and the leaders officially, publicly, and brazenly reject Christ. Everything changes at that point. The public ministry turns into a private training of the twelve. Rather than saturating the land with miracles, he's going to be more private in his ministry with the twelve preparing for his departure. So Mark is showing us in chapter 2 conflict after conflict after conflict between Jesus and the Jewish leaders of that day. You can't mix them. You can't mingle them. Jesus didn't come to sort of add his way of salvation to what was already there in Judaism. He came to fulfill the law as the Messiah and do away with works-based religion that the Jewish leaders had been teaching at that time. So in Mark 3, verses 20 to 30, it's kind of the official rejection of Jesus. Now in Mark's gospel... You say, well, that's only Mark 3. That's only Mark chapter 3, yes. In Mark 1, 2, and half of chapter 3, Mark is actually skimming over the bulk of Christ's ministry. Why? Because beginning in chapter 3 and 4, all the way to the end, he wants to show Jesus is the suffering servant. He wants to show you that Jesus is the Messiah who faces hostility. He wants to focus on discipleship. He wants to show the cost of following Christ. He is the lamb headed to the slaughter to make atonement for his people. That's Mark's focus in the gospel. And he is rapidly accelerating to get to that main turning point where everything in Christ's life will change. So I hope that makes sense. These conflict stories are kind of leading up to that culmination of the blasphemy 
of the Holy Spirit, or the unpardonable sin, which we'll get to in a few weeks. So, we, we get to kind of the fourth and fifth conflict stories in chapters 2 and 3. Forgiveness of sins, fellowshipping with the unclean tax collectors, last week questions over fasting, and now tonight, working on the Sabbath, and then healing a, a withered hand on a Sabbath. Conflict, conflict, conflict. R. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, was titling this chapter, Jesus' Fatal Collisions with the Religious Establishment. It's the fatal collision with the religious establishment of works-based religion. There's a collision. You can't have them both coexisting. So tonight, as we look at these two episodes in Mark 2 and 3, Quite honestly, I just want to show you that Jesus has authority. That's my main point. Jesus has authority. And I'm going to show you. Question. If his main point is that he wants to show that Jesus has authority. Don't you think you have to deal with the possible contradiction in the text? Because it involves the words of Jesus. Jesus can't have authority if Jesus gets the Old Testament story wrong, correct? If Jesus doesn't get the Old Testament story right, that would call into question his authority. So if you're preaching a sermon on a text where Jesus says, Abiathor, but the Old Testament passage says Ahimelech, and there's a contradiction. If you're going to make the sermon about the authority of Jesus, you've got to demonstrate that Jesus' authority is not called into question in this text and offer a textual solution, right? Don't you think that, I mean, the irony here is like, I'm going to tell you about Jesus' authority. He's got to deal with verse 26. He has to. It sounds like to me, he's almost setting himself up that he's forced to do so. If he doesn't do so, then I, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm, well, I, I started this by telling you I was crying earlier. I'm going to be crying again. I, I, I literally am just going to fall on the floor and start weeping. You're going to say that's a little over dramatic. No, it's not because it, this just drives me crazy. And I'm already getting worried. We're, we, he's got about 28. 27 to 28 minutes left of preaching time, according to the software I have here in front of me. And guess what? He's he's going to be covering two stories. He's going to cover from verse 23 of chapter 2 all the way to verse 6 of chapter 3. And he's going to do that in about 27 minutes. That tells me he's not going to deal in any meaningful way with the controversy in verse 26. And he's shaped the entire sermon that it's not about that. It's about Jesus has authority. And I would be raising my hand. Well, I wouldn't raise my hand during a sermon, but I would be like after going, you didn't deal with the, the issue of authority. He'd be like, what are you talking? The issue of authority. How can Jesus be said to have authority when he says Abiathar, but First Samuel says Ahimelech. Well, yeah, yeah, you've got to deal with that, right? 
I guarantee you, if I was to ask that to some preachers, like, nah, it's too complicated. It's just going to confuse people. And they act like they're doing a favor to the people. I'm like, you're setting the people up to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, which is the entire purpose of the church to prevent that from happening. But I digress. Let's continue that in a couple of different ways, but in Mark 2 and then into Mark 3, he has all authority, and here's the key, over the Sabbath, over the Sabbath. And in your outline, you see this, he's going to proclaim it, he's going to proclaim it verbally, and then he will prove it by a miracle. He will proclaim his authority, and then he'll prove his authority. Or maybe you could say he'll declare his authority, and then he'll demonstrate his authority. And the connecting phrase that kind of glues them together is in Mark chapter 2, look at verse 26, how at the end of, middle of the verse, oh, here we go, here we go, here we go. All right. He, I, okay. I thought he was going to go back to 23 and work his way to 26. He's going right to 26. This and he's connecting this to Jesus is going to declare his authority and demonstrate his authority. I like that. I, I even like the outline a little bit there. Verse, uh, uh, basically, Jesus is declaring his authority in 23 to 28, and he's going to demonstrate his authority in chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. I, 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 I could work with that. Okay, but he, but I, so I thought he was going to go back, and I'm like, oh, he, by the time he gets down to 26, time's going to be up. But he just skipped, and he's ju jumping right to 26, ladies and gentlemen, right to 26. This is what we have been waiting Four. Okay, so all of my cynicism, all of my skepticism, okay, I was wrong. I should have been more patient. I'm about to be proven wrong that finally we have a sermon where they're going to deal with the issue. Okay, I am so excited. Let's see what answer he gives. What is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? It is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. In fact, verse 24 even makes it clear as well. The Pharisees are saying, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And then in chapter 3 and verse 4, again, the same phrase. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? That's kind of the, the, the link that's threading these two stories together. So, let's begin, number one, with your Savior, proclaims his sovereign authority over the Sabbath. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> okay, may, maybe maybe he's not going to deal with verse 26. Okay, I got, I know what you're thinking. You did that on purpose. No, I really was trying to be positive. I was really trying to have optimism. I was trying to replace my skepticism with optimism. I was trying to replace my cynicism with, with uh, something positive. And oh man, please, please deal with this. Please deal with the problem. Please, please. I'm begging you, begging you. Don't make me cry. It might not mean much to you, but when this was written and at this time, there were three main distinguishing marks, features of Judaism, right? Number one was circumcision. Number two was dietary food laws. And then number three, which was probably the distinctive mark, which was Sabbath, the keeping of the Sabbath. It's what identifies, it's like the badge of the Jews, 
If you are a good Orthodox Jewish law-abiding person, you're going to keep the Sabbath. You're going to keep the Shabbat, as they say it. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11 is very simple. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and on it you shall do no work. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. But the Pharisees had built such a fence around the law to protect the simple command of God so that they would not even get close to breaking that simple law. And when they built a fence around it, then they built more fences around it and more fences so that every law would get so minute, so detailed, so as to try to guard them from breaking the commandment. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. For example, at this time, the laws were so tedious like this. Women could not look in the mirror on the Sabbath day. I don't know why it's women and not men, but women couldn't look in the mirror on the Sabbath day or else they might discover a gray hair and be attempt and, and, and attempt to pluck it out, which would be a sin. That would be work. Cutting your nails involved a sin to the rabbis. A mother could not pick up and carry her child, for that would be bearing a burden and working. If a man had a wooden leg, the rabbis said he couldn't wear it on the Sabbath, because that would be bearing a burden. If somebody had false teeth, they couldn't wear it on the Sabbath. Or else they might fall out and then you'd have to lift them up and put them back in. And that would be work. And on and on and on. Preachers love. Preachers love. Uh, every, every sermon you ever hear on, on these things, they love to give all of those rules. And everybody in the congregation laughs. But to me, I'm like, I, should we be laughing? Because modern day Christianity has this same list of that we add stuff just as much. But, uh, but everyone just thinks it's a, <laughs> those Jews, they, they just kept adding all these things to the law. We would never. And then immediately we say, well, if you do this or if you do this, here's the consequence. And here, and you're like, whoa, whoa, where did script, where did you get these ideas from scripture? Scripture doesn't explain it that way. Scripture doesn't paint out all of these rules and regulations and what you can and can't do and what's the consequences for this. But so it's just funny that we laugh at other people, but we can't sometimes perceive our own failure in the exact same area. But we're down to about 23 minutes left. 23 minutes left. I, I don't know. Are, are you losing hope? Are, are you losing hope? I'm losing hope that verse 26 is going to even be dealt with because the, the, the longer it takes him to get to 26, the less time he can do anything with it. Because remember, he's going all the way down to chapter 3, verse 6. So he's got to get to verse 26 at a probably in the next five to 10 minutes. He's got to get to 26 in the next five to 10 minutes. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm just looking at it just from a time just from the time he's got it, he's got to get there, right? He's got to, all right? Let, let's see. On it went. And, and maybe you're laughing and you're chuckling, thinking that is ludicrous. We're just getting started. There are so many more. And here's the point. The very simple command of remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It turned into this complicated 
complex code of burdensome commands that nobody could ever keep. You see, God gave the Sabbath to be a blessing. But they turned it into a burden. What God desired to be a blessing to his people, they turned it into a curse. Isaiah 58 is actually a whole chapter on the Sabbath and the delight of the Sabbath. Why why make it a curse? Why make it a curse? Here's the badge of Judaism. It's the badge. It's Sabbath keeping. Now to our text. Verse 23. So it happens that Jesus is passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. Now, interesting. Deuteronomy 23 verses 24 and 25 makes it very clear. Now, this is a good sign because as soon as he gets to 20. Uh, to Mark two twenty three. I mean, he finally gets to the he finally gets to the verse. So, so we're finally getting to the text. He immediately offers a cross reference. So if he follows that same pattern, he's got to deal with the cross reference in verse twenty six. And if you deal with the cross reference in twenty six, you're going to immediately now go uh, uh, Abiathar versus Ahimelech. You're immediately you're going to you're really immediately you're going to have to acknowledge the conflict, right? I mean. I mean, if he's going to give a, if he's going to offer a, cr- a cross reference in 23, he's got to offer the, co- the cross reference in 26 because it says, ha, um, um, it says in verse 20, you see here, uh, verse uh, 25, have you never read? So well, I guess in 25, he has to give us the cross reference. Have you never read? And when he gets to 26, then he has to deal with the con, the contradiction between the two. Right. But remember the last sermon that we reviewed, I thought the exact same thing and he didn't even mention the cross reference. So, but at least here he's starting in 23 with saying, Hey, Deuteronomy, he's offering a cross reference. So at least, uh, at least this gives me some hope that a cross reference is going to be mentioned when he gets down to 25. That if you're traveling on the Sabbath day, you can pick grain to satisfy your hunger. Even on the Sabbath, you can do it to satisfy your hunger. There was no law in the Old Testament that prohibited this. No law. But the rabbis, the rabbinical tradition, remember, in their building their fence around the law to try to keep it and uphold it, they would say, you cannot do this because that would be work. You picking the heads of grain is work. And rubbing that in your hands is work. And now you've got conflict. Conflict between Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, and conflict between the Jewish works-based religion of the Pharisees. They say, verse 24, Pharisees say, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Meaning, they're breaking our rabbinical traditions. Your disciples aren't doing what Our traditions are permitting. Now, what do you think Jesus would say? How how would the Messiah wisely answer? Verse 25, Jesus said to them, Have you never read? Isn't that great? I I, I think there's sarcasm here. You you Pharisees, you, 
You're, you're, you're the law keepers. Have you not read the scriptures? Have you not read what David did? After all, you pride yourselves on David, the great king, the, the king of Israel. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? And remember the story in 1 Samuel 21, David was... Oh, good. we get a cross-reference! We get a cross-reference! Yes! He actually mentioned the text, 1 Samuel 21. All right, so now what he's going to do, he's going to read verse 26, and then he's going to go back to 1 Samuel 21, and he's going to say, does anyone here in the congregation see a problem? Does anyone see a difficulty? Let me explain the history of the controversy surrounding this, but here is the option. That's what... That it's getting ready to happen. Are you getting excited? It's now I'm being a little sarcastic because now, I, to be honest, I've given up all hope that we're even going to come close to addressing the issue. But I, I'm I'm going to pretend that it's getting ready to happen. It's got to now. Now, actually, a little bit of I'm being a little bit honest here. There's a part of me that says, okay, it's got to happen. It's got to. There's a part of me that's saying, no way. There's a like right now. If we were betting, come on. Fifty dollars. Is he is he going to deal with it? Is he not going to deal with it? Which I know I'm not promoting gambling. Just an illustration. If we were to bet, which which way? Which way? Which way? Which way? Which way? Like if we had a, if I had a room full of people right now, I'd like give me a show of hands. He's going to deal with it. Okay, one person. Okay, no, I think a lot of people are like. Of course he is. And I I think I would probably have my hand up that he wouldn't. I, I don't know. I I really don't know anymore. Here we go running from Saul. Saul wanted to kill him. And David was already anointed king, but he's running through the hills and he's running through Judah and, and he finally comes to a city of Nob and he's asking for food and he's weary and the people that are with him are, are weary and they're faint. And he's it appears that only the skeptics and cynics are listening today because someone just said in chat, not deal with it. How skeptical, how cynical of you, how, how you doubt you should be more positive like me, right? I, I know he's going to, okay. All right. I, I, I kind of agree with the, the person in the chat. Let, let's see. Okay. Oh man. I'm, I told you, I started this by telling you that I was crying earlier. I was weeping. And I think I'm about to start crying and weeping again, but come on, it can't, there's no way I can go three for three choosing random sermons and nobody deals with it. This just, I wonder how many, I wonder how long I could choose random sermons before we got to one. I wonder, I wonder, I, I really wonder how, like, could I go six for six? Could I go 10 for 10, 15 for 15? I like, I want to almost push it, but at some point it would just become ridiculous. But here we go. Let, let's see what happens. He says, I need bread. And the high priest says, the only, pre the only bread that I have is the, the consecrated bread in the tabernacle. It's all we have. And that's. <laughs> Did you notice he just said the high priest? He didn't give the high priest's name. He didn't give the, because he's referencing back to 1 Samuel, where it's Ahimelech. He doesn't mention the name. He just says the high priest said. The high priest said. I got to back that up. Oh, if he does not deal with this, there's just no way. Come on, man. Come on. All right. I got to back this up. Okay. This, this is getting ridiculous now. Okay. 
I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, my theory is that so much of preaching actually distracts people from the text. It doesn't lead people into the text. I'm, I'm really, hey, okay, someone is much, someone is very cynical. They just said he intentionally avoided it. I can't assign motive. I can't assign motive. But it's just ridiculous. He's he's referencing back to 1 Samuel 21. He has to know that it does not say Abiathar in, in 1 Samuel. He knows it says Ahimelech. He has to know that. Right? He just says, the high priest. And I'm, I'm putting air quotes. The high priest. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you his name because I don't want to deal with it. This is a case where the sermon is literally keeping people from the issue in the text. That... that Okay, okay. Deep breath. Let's listen to this again. He comes to a city of Nob and he's asking for food and he's weary and the people that are with him are are weary and they're faint and he says I need bread and the high priest says the only pre- the only bread that I have is the the consecrated bread in the tabernacle. It's all we have and that's for the priests only. David, you're not a priest. You're only a king. But Jesus said in verse 26 that he gave it to David and to those who were with him. What's the point? Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, with the letter of the Old Testament law, don't ignore the spirit of the law. You have become so fixated on keeping every letter of the law, you've forgotten what it is to love your neighbor. You've forgotten what it is to keep the spirit of... Okay, now he's obviously not going to deal with the issue, but I got to ask a question. How do we work this? Don't focus on the letter of the law. Focus on the spirit of the law. Could that raise any... Well, hey... Hey, you know, just say, just say you have a teenager. Hey, mom and dad, I know the letter of the law says I can't engage in premarital sex, but the spirit of the law is just about not being promiscuous. And I'm just going to be, I'm going to say faithful to this one person and I love them. I mean, what? I mean, I, that, that's the spirit of the law, right? The letter of the law says I can't, but the spirit, like how far, like how far do you take this? Well, the letter says this, but the spirit it means that like who gets to come along and say well the spirit of the law is the letter of the law is you can't but the spirit of the law says you can right because uh because uh oh, <laughs> someone just says because i can uh i can keep the law if i keep the spirit of it well that's a good all right never mind okay all right, I stand. That's a very good point. Maybe I should have realized that that's what we do. Hey, we, we can keep the spirit of it. We just can't keep the letter of it. But it just seems like if you're going to put this, that the point is that they were missing the spirit of the law for the letter. Well, then how? when can I disregard the letter of it? When can I say, hey, guys, remember that thing I did? Well, you know, you're you're trying to hold me to the letter of the law. The spirit of the law is my intentions were good. My intentions were right. I was trying to be a nice person. I never intended to get in that situation. Come on, you can't blame me. 
I'm going to start using that. I'm going to start using that. Hey, you can't hold me to the letter. You can't hold me to the letter. You can't. You can't. You can't hold me to the letter. You, you just can't. I, I, I wonder I wonder how much you could get away with that. It's weird how sometimes we say that. I, 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 I hate to say this. You know why I think he's almost going this direction? Because it's much easier to just say that than try to deal with the possible conflict. See, I, the, the text raises so many questions. Not only do we have the question of Abiathar versus Ahimelech, we have this. If you're going to say the issue here is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What David did was against the letter, but it wasn't against the spirit. I mean, just just now, now you're just you just handed everyone almost a hermeneutic, a, an application tool. Hey, whenever you are reading the Bible and you see the letter of the law, you need to focus on what the spirit of the law is, because as long as you meet the spirit of it, you're not guilty of it. Like, how does like what? Maybe he's going to clarify that, but this to me seems a very dangerous precedent. You got the spirit, you got the letter. You just focus on the spirit and not the letter. I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. Who get, Do I get to determine what the spirit... The law is only actually prohibiting this. And this... Not in all circumstances, but just... I mean... Oh, this raises... See, this text... Nobody wants to deal with the problems within the text. The law as God designed it. Jesus reminds them. Okay, someone uh, just said, but in all fairness, he said what David did only broke the rabbinical law, but the law was laid out by God, correct? Okay, I think... If, if my, and now I could be incorrect. Now we may have to go back and, you know, listen to the tape. Okay. But I think what he was saying that what Jesus and the disciples did by going through and plucking the ears of the corn, according to Deuteronomy, they were doing nothing wrong. So they weren't even violating a law. But Jesus then makes a reference to what David did. And it sounds like that the letter of the law said that what David did was wrong, but the spirit of the law would say that it's okay because the priest was showing love for neighbor. Love for neighbor trumps the law as it regarded who could or who could not eat the showbread. We may have to clarify that in the, in the next, uh, the next episode, I, I, because we're already over an hour in this one, we may have to, we'll have to write that down as a, well, well, when we get into, when we actually start taking verse 26 apart, I'll make sure we address this. We, and, and I, and I think I asked the question in the last episode. I think I gave that as homework, really, that I, that d- what David did here was it an actual violation of Old Testament law. Did he actually break Old Testament law or was he simply breaking rabbinical tradition? Well, I don't, there was no rabbinical tradition at that point in time, right? So you, you had the priest, you had, you had David. So did, was David violating scripture by doing this? Was the priest violating scripture by saying, here, take the showbread? Was that allowed or was it against, was it against the letter, the spirit? Like that, I think we need to definitely clarify that. What Jesus and them was doing, going through the fields and plucking the corn, the, the grain, the ear of corn, I should say, the ear of corn, that doesn't appear to be wrong according to Deuteronomy, which seemed to allow for that to take place. But the rabbis had added the rabbinical tradition came after that. But there's, I don't, I don't think you have a quote unquote a rabbinical tradition going back to the time of David. So 
All right, that, that's, hopefully that clarifies that. Okay, all right, let's continue. Of the scriptures. But you know what he does? What is so remarkable to me, how he knows and uses the scriptures rightly here. He says in verses 27 and 28, the clincher that he uses the scriptures rightly. You're not going to address the controversy about him not using it correctly. You're, you're not, you're not, you're not going to deal with that. You're just, just, you, you, you purposely, I mean, I, I, I hate, I don't want to assign motive, but you have left out the name of the priest as recorded in first Samuel, because it's different than the name of the priest here in, in Mark two. And then you're going to say, Jesus, you're going to make the claim. Jesus used the, te- the text correctly without even addressing the controversy about how he used the text. That's so disingenuous. This is a situation where the sermon is literally keeping you from seeing the text. How many sermons have blinded you from ever seeing what's actually in the text? How many sermons have you listened to that blind you from seeing the text? And then you have to go, it has to be a skeptic or an atheist or an agnostic or someone going, hey, you don't see a problem here? Why is it the atheist and the agnostic going, don't you see the problem? Well, because Christians can't see the problem because we listen to too many sermons who did everything they could to keep us from the problem instead of dealing with the problem. He almost creates a problem by saying, hey, it's not the letter, it's just the spirit. And hey, as long as David didn't violate the spirit, who cares if he broke the letter? Well, wait a minute, that raises a million questions about the law in the Bible. Number two, you're just going to make a blanket statement that Jesus used the text correctly without dealing with the issue of how he used the text. It's amazing. It's amazing. Because in verse 27, he shows how he's the sovereign. Jesus said to them, you've got it all wrong, guys. The Sabbath was actually made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Pharisees, you've got it flipped. You have flipped it. God made the Sabbath to be a benefit for man. That baby is starting to cry because the baby is like, you skip verse 26. The baby's like, <laughs> I need to know, is it a Bithor or is it a Himalek? That's what the baby is saying. I am, I am, I am interpreting tongues here. Okay. I am joking. I'm joking. I'm jo- Everyone calm down. Okay. But it's just, so I, I, if I, I would, I would be, you would hear me if I was there laying in the pew. Going, <laughs> I would be weeping. Okay. Maybe I'm being a little over dramatic, but. I started this entire episode by talking about crying. So I'm, I'm returning to it. I'm just circling back around. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a common communication technique. Okay. So just, just celebrate it. Okay. But yeah. All right. I, I, you know what was getting ready to happen. We're getting ready to stop because he's, he's done. He's done with 26. He got past 26 as fast as he possibly could without ever mentioning the issue and then completely ignoring how Jesus is using 1 Samuel. Just absolutely astonishing. By giving man a day to rest from his labors, to rest from work, to worship God, to remember God's creation, and then to be refreshed in your soul. But, but Pharisees, 
you're acting as if the Sabbath is a burden. And you've made man a slave to the myriad of man-made and impossible-to-keep regulations. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 23. When he was exposing the Pharisees, he said, They tie up heavy burdens, and they lay them on men's... Please note, he's got a quote from the Matthew 23 cross-reference. We're not going to actually quote from the 1 Samuel 26 cross-reference. We're not going to actually quote from the actual cross-reference that Jesus actually quote. No, 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 no. We're not going to deal with that we, because that's controversial. This is just astonishing how much this is leading people away from the text. And he's still, he's not even going to address the controversy he himself created in the sermon. Hey, the letter of the law. No, 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 no. Don't worry about that because you can violate the letter of the law as long as you don't violate the spirit of the law. Well, how can you explain how that? I need a chart. I need, here's the letter of the law. Here are all the things acceptable under the spirit of the law. You may be in violation of the letter. Here's all the things you can do that's a violation of the letter but that still keeps you in line with the spirit. And, and, and I mean, everyone would need to know, every church would need to address that going, okay, look, here's the letter of the law. You cannot be church disciplined for violating the letter as long, as long as you are within the spirit. But guess what? Everyone would be like, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. I think that what I did was in the spirit. No, no, what you did wasn't in the spirit of the law. No, what you did wasn't in the spirit of the law. He's not even going to address. He himself created controversy here. And I get, and I, I don't know, every, everyone in the. Oh, man, 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 man. I, I can't listen to any more sermons on Mark 2. I, I, I'm just going to have to just, I'm going to have to abstain for the rest of my life. Right, let, let's, I mean, I, we're getting ready to stop because clearly it's not going to be dealt with, but I'm just going to demonstrate. I think he'll, he'll move to chapter 3 here in just a second. Shoulders. But Jesus said they are unwilling to move them so much as a finger. They just burdened the people. And Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then verse 28, here's the ultimate climactic line. The Son of Man, Jesus' favorite title for himself, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. What does that mean? It means one thing. Jesus is clearly claiming deity, full deity. Why? And a text that many would argue that proves he wasn't deity because he got the text wrong. He says it's um, Abiathar when it's Ahimelech. So some would argue that this text proves that Jesus isn't deity. Jesus made a mistake. Others would say, no, Mark made the mistake, which calls into question the inspiration of the scriptures. But no, 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 no. We're not even going to deal with that. We're not even going to pretend like it's an issue because that's what we do in church. We've got to get sermons preached. We don't have time for actual questions about the text. We got sermons. We got to get through the series. We got to keep it moving. We got to keep it positive. We got to keep it uplifting because we don't really care about anything dealing with the Bible. And I know I'm starting to get frustrated, but this is literally the third sermon that we've reviewed. I've now spent well over three hours of my life trying to demonstrate what's happening in churches and, and I, 
What's the point of going? People, there's all kinds of articles that, you know, people like, why is church attendance down? Why is the younger generation not going to church? What's the point of going if you're not even going to deal with, I don't know, what's right there in front of you? And then you bring up an issue that's just going to confuse it. You talk about, we're going to avoid the Abiathar and Ahimelech problem. That's going to confuse anyone. And then you throw out, hey, well, he may have been in violation of the letter, but hey, guys, he didn't violate the spirit. And so that's all that matters. Okay, next, let's just move on. Whoa, wait, wait, time out? Time out? Time out. I mean, if I if I was a teenager sitting in there, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be grab, I would just ignore the rest. I'd be, I'd be going, boom, okay. So I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And if my mom and dad say that I'm violating scripture, I'm gonna be like, nope, not violating the spirit, not violating the spirit, not violating the spirit. He said, Well, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. If you can violate the law. Uh, the letter of the law and not be in violation of the spirit. That's something that every Christian should be like, whoa, time out, time out. This has massive ramifications on my entire spiritual life. Because God, Jehovah, he's the one who designed the Sabbath. When he, cre- when he created all things in six days, he rested on the Sabbath. And then later on in Exodus, he commands that his people rest. Jesus says, I, I am the Lord. I am God. I am the one who designed and instituted the Sabbath. I'm God. Clear deity. And by the way, clear, tra- clear collision with tradition. Christ is the giver of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to be a gift of rest to man. And the Sabbath was to glorify the Lord and to worship Him. But they made it a burden. The the Pharisees made it a burden. Jesus is clearly proclaiming, I'm authority. I'm Lord. I designed the Sabbath. I gave you the law. I'm the lawgiver. I'm the judge. I am the authority. What do we learn about Jesus? What do we learn about Jesus and and how he used... Clearly, he's not he's not going to deal with it. He's not he's he's got about fifteen minutes left, and he's still got to go from chapter three verses to one, one through six. Um, we're already an hour and thirteen minutes. There's no point. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna review the f- next fifteen minutes of this just to demonstrate that he never mentioned it. He just he's he's taught he's hit verse twenty six twice now, and he's done everything in his power to keep you even knowing there's a problem there. So. In our next episode, I've, I've got pencils dropping everywhere because now I'm ready to start throwing pencils across the room, all right? So I started this by saying that I was crying earlier, and now... <laughs> I'm going to end this with crying. Yes, I'm being overdramatic. In the next episode, what we're going to do is we're going to try. I, th- I think the goal will be We'll, we'll, we're just going to try to answer the Abiathar versus Ahimelech question. We're just going to go directly to that question. Then we'll pull back. Then we'll try to answer, did David violate the letter of the law or not? Was it, did he, what, what was David violating? Did, did, what? And then if he was violating the letter, how do we understand that? What's our, what's our ways around that? 
but we'll figure out the, we'll, we'll start working on the obvious problem and then we'll deal with the secondary. I'm going to say the other is the secondary problem because I can't get into the problems with the conflict that Jesus is trying to answer in the text because we got to deal with the conflict about the text itself. So that's what we'll do. I, I don't know if we're going to come up with a decent answer, but we're going to do our very best to at least address it where what I have demonstrated to you is that the average church doesn't deal with the actual text. So I want you to really think about and consider how many times you've listened to a sermon that may have sounded great, may have offered what you felt was great spiritual challenge, conviction, and comfort. But if you really, 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 really think about it, it actually kept you from the text. Now, I think in many cases, you would say, anyone listening to this sermon, well, like, no, he didn't keep us from the text, but he actually did. You can email me your disagreements to newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And the next time we do an episode for this series that we're calling Investigating a Mark 2, uh, Mark 226, and uh, we had someone create artwork for it. I think it looks pretty good. If you look at the Church One app and look at the series, you'll see it. I think they did an amazing job. Uh, so, uh, but when we're back in this series, we will start trying to figure out and take apart Mark 226 and see if we can come up with a solution. And then we'll look at this other problem that, oh, well, I guess the one good thing about reviewing this sermon, we have a new problem to deal with. Letter versus spirit of the law. How do we reconcile those concepts? All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. I'll be back on the air probably here. I'm going to try to do at least, I would like to get two more things done this afternoon. I don't know if I will be able to, but I'm going to do what I can. We will see. All right. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. God bless.